0: hello everybody welcome to the penn state 365 podcast my name is don callan crowley beat writer and recruit analyst at happy valley insider covering penn state football and athletics on the rivals network i'm joined by my co-hosts today on the psu 365 podcast marty leap also of happy valley insider as well as our resident super fan anthony Azan. Coming back here today on Sunday evening, the recap Penn State's 30 to 13 win over the Illinois fighting Illini on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon in Champaign, uh, gentlemen, uh, before we get to that, I I do want to quickly, uh, just give a little mention, uh, sending our thoughts and prayers to the Jersey shore, uh, community, uh, after Max angle, uh, A a player for Jersey Shore passed away this week. Uh, Max collapsed at the end of a football game two weeks ago uh, and uh, passed away this week. Uh, I I know a couple of players uh, and the community there at Jersey Shore just feel terrible for uh, that community. And the Jersey Jersey Shore football program, Uh, they'll actually be back on the field Monday in a game after having to cancel the game on Friday, which I think was forget who they're going to play, but they're going to be back on the field Monday uh, for the first time since Max's uh, passing. So our thoughts and prayers go out to the Jersey Shore community on that, um, and we'll certainly be rooting for them the rest of the way. Uh, but uh, Penn State, Illinois, guys, uh, it wasn't pretty, but Penn State did get the job done 30-13, to 13, as I mentioned. It was an ugly first half for Penn State. I believe going into halftime was 16-7. Uh, but there's there's a lot to discuss in this game. The, the offense had its ups and downs. The defense, for the most part, was solid. Had a few drives where uh, I'm sure they'd like some plays back. But an overall quality performance. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, a win is a win. And Penn State's now 3-0 in the season. Uh, and moving on to the whiteout week against Iowa this weekend, which we'll talk about as well in this episode. But uh, as we begin talking, Penn State, Illinois here, Anthony, I'll start with you just uh, what's your initial takeaways from the Nanny Lions win in Champaign? And then uh, how, how do you feel personally coming out of this one?
1: I mean, I feel really good about the secondary coming out of this game. I mean, what, four interceptions total um, on Luke Altmaier? I mean, and they were all beauties, too. Great coverage on each of them. Worth noting,
0: one of the uh, interceptions was Abdul Carter. But the other three were all DBs. That's
1: true. Secondary. You know, the secondary looked spectacular. The linebackers showed up today. They looked great. Um, Just just a great all-around performance by the defense. Uh, The offense has some things to clean up. Um, Some missed opportunities was the story of the day, and very undisciplined. A lot of penalties, some of them were backbreaking, almost put the momentum of the game on one of them, especially the one from KLS. So, yeah, Penn State, you know, inconsistent on offense, left a lot of points on the board, definitely have some things to clean up going into next week.
0: Absolutely. I'm going to actually, for our viewers on YouTube, going to put up the stats uh, for this game uh from penn state side but marty uh what are your initial thoughts coming out of this one
2: yeah you know anytime you go on the road in big 10 play and you win a game by 17 points especially a game where it really wasn't that close and you know up until a garbage time touchdown late in the game you held the opponent to single digits you're going to take it but definitely some i don't know if it's necessarily concerning but definitely frustrating things because this game shouldn't have been this close Uh, The turnovers that Penn State couldn't capitalize on, dumb penalties. Like you said, Anthony, especially on by QAnjay Lambert Smith. If Lambert Smith doesn't get called for that in sportsman-like conduct, I mean, Penn State was on their way to make that thing 20 to nothing late in the second quarter. You know, we set it off here before we started, but if Lambert Smith doesn't commit that penalty, this thing probably winds up like 42 to 6 or something like that. Um, But he commits a penalty, field goal gets blocked, Illinois scores, they have all the momentum. But um, yeah, so. A game, a lot of frustration, um, a lot to learn from for a young team, especially Drew Alar in the offense. But man, tip your cap to Manny Diaz in this defense. They were swarming, they were all over the field. They made Altmeyer, who's not a bad quarterback, look awful. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of unrest. Early in this game on Penn State Twitter about that rush defense, at the end of the day, Illinois averaged 2.1 yards per carry, and it wasn't due to a lack of trying. I think they ran the ball like 40 times, averaged 2.1 yards per carry. It was nice to have Kazai Izzard back, but just tip of the cap of that defense. What a great game by Manny Diaz and his unit. Uh,
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree about the defense. I mean, the final stats uh, may not tell you how – strong this defense actually played they allowed 354 total yards in the game um, but just 62 rushing yards in the game kept illinois um, to 2.1 yards per rush they had five turnovers the four interceptions plus one forced fumble from dominic DeLuca, uh, three sacks seven tackles for a loss just all around a great day for the penn state defense people look at the 269 passing yards by illinois but there was a nice chunk of those that came in the fourth quarter once the second team defense and the backups were mostly playing. So that will be definitely, you know, things that Penn State wants to clean up for when those guys do play. But I think coming away with the starting defense, that starting secondary, you have to continue to feel good about it. Uh, once again, uh, Penn State may have the best secondary in all of college football based off what we saw it well last season coming into this season and through three weeks of action already um, I guess let's start talking with about Drew's performance here 16 for 33 208 I saw 48 complete 48 percent completion percent 101.4 quarterback rating it was the worst of his three games on paper Uh of his first three starts, I should say. It wasn't a great performance. There's no doubt about that. But I think it's a performance in which he probably performed better than the numbers indicated. Illinois was getting a lot of pressure on Drew throughout the afternoon. Uh, He didn't get to settle in the pocket much. Penn State's wide receiver room had a really rough day. He was the victim of a few drops, the victim of bad route running throughout. It, It... he had a lot of things not going his way in this game. Now, there was a lot of things he has to clean up himself. Um, Marty, you, you had a good quote, I think, in your uh, position. Uh, great say about how this is a tape where he's going to be able to correct a lot of things. Uh, but then afterwards, he's going to want to bury the tape, burn it, uh, and never look at it again. Uh, because there was a lot of things he did miss on Saturday. There there's open wide receivers he missed. Uh there were some throws he would like back. But out of his struggles on Saturday, I don't think coming out of it that there's any that are really of major concern. I think more of them probably could stem from one, the pass, the Illinois pass rush being just tremendous throughout that first half, the wide receiver room struggling without Harrison Wallace. Uh but also this Illinois defense was throwing some pretty uh complicated looks at drew for somebody just making his third start his first road start uh so i mean the stats aren't pretty but i'm not sure this is one that penn state fans should be coming out concerned about drew's level of play against illinois and then worrying that it's going to be a sign of things to come with the rest of big 10 play Uh, marty i'll start with you here just what were your thoughts on drew's play today uh, on saturday
2: yeah, i said it on twitter during the game i said it in my position grades right up um this is a film this is this film was one drew a is gonna learn a lot from he's gonna burn it and never watch it again um he he didn't get a lot of help the 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 pass protection was not great uh johnny newton played like a freaking man possessed for illinois yeah um there was what there was three drops Three or four balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. Yep. The wide receivers had their worst game of the year. There was another play where he threw an absolute dart to split two defenders for Dante Cephas, Seefus. Yeah. Cephas felt coming out of his break cross. That would have been a big gain. Yep. Um, but on the flip side, he there was the throw there on um, with the drops. Also, the one Ktron Allen dropped in the end zone on just an, an incredible throw yeah. by Drew Lofted <laughs> in there. But again, on the flip side there was the throw to Theo Johnson we had Theo for a touchdown and overthrew him. um there was multiple times Nick Singleton was getting matched up on linebackers or was not covered at all and Drew didn't see him didn't throw him the ball there was a play i think in the second quarter i want to say first or second quarter where Drew rolled out to his right had Keondre Lambert Smith wide open like no one within 10 15 yeah, yards yeah, down the seam i believe yeah would have walked into the end zone and he just never saw him took off a ran so but, like you said, Illinois threw a lot of things at him exotically with the defense. This Illinois defensive line is one of the best in the Big Ten. We talked about it beforehand. Newton might be the best defensive lineman they play all year. Um, yes. So there, there's there's still a lot there to go with that. But a great learning experience for him. And, but, but one thing I did really like is through it all, through his struggles in this game, he didn't turn it over. There was no yep. super dumb throws, no big mistakes. And, again, if you don't – that opening drive of Malik McLean doesn't drop that pass for an easy first down. Offense might get in a rhythm, and who knows what happens. Same thing starts second half. McLean doesn't drop it. Offense might get in a rhythm. You don't know where it goes. So a lot to learn from here from Drew, but first career road start in conference play. He did not play well. He got no help, and they still won by 17. You're going to take that.
0: And before I hand it off to Anthony, I, I think it's also worth noting here that this type of – defense and performance may have come at a great time for penn state because i mean iowa this upcoming week phil parker is one of the best defensive minds in all of college football you know damn well that he's going to throw uh complex looks at drew in that game as well trying to get him off his game and they're going to try to confuse a a young quarterback in a in a huge prime time situation uh so I, i think with this timing of this illinois game uh it, it could work out very well for Penn State. I I wouldn't be surprised if Drew comes out next week and has a much better performance against a much better Iowa defense, uh, at least compared to Illinois. But uh, Anthony, what's your thoughts on uh, Drew's performance on Saturday against Illinois and do you have any concerns about him going forward in this Big 10 schedule?
1: No, not really. I think, you know, we talked about it before we came on, but He was just a, you know, a young quarterback making his first road start against a really good defensive line, and the Illinois defense came ready to play, and, you know, Drew, just an experienced quarterback out there. It's it's fine. You know, he was a little inconsistent. You know, he made some mistakes. He didn't see some things he was supposed to. I think Marty covered it perfectly. I really don't have a ton more to add, honestly. But, yeah, I, I think he'll be all right moving forward. He didn't get a lot of help, like you said. I think Trey Wallace is a huge security blanket for him out there. Receiver, he's relied on him quite a bit early on, not having him out there. Definitely um, affected the flow of the game for the receiver room. No one else really stepped up in his absence. Um, you look at the stat line, I think Singleton was the highest uh, with three receptions. So it was really just kind of all over the place with the receiver room. A couple of key drops, Malik McLean took a big step back this week, unfortunately. I thought he was starting to emerge as a guy in this room. and hit two really big drops that absolutely killed drives so i think you know we'll see what happens if they can get amari evans back soon maybe he's the guy that can step up but they need to figure something out with that receiver room um and yeah like marty said it's just something that uh, drew's gonna look at the tape um he's gonna learn a lot from it he's not gonna like what he sees hopefully that motivates him and fuels him to be better next week Uh, i think he'll be better prepared moving forward But um, on the topic of Newton, that guy's a stud. I mean, he was all over the place. He was batting down passes. Um, He was just disruptive. And the offensive line, when they weren't blocking him, they were actually pretty serviceable. When they were blocking him, they were having a lot of trouble. Even Olu was having trouble with Newton. He's one of those dudes that, like Marty said, he's probably the best defensive lineman they're going to play all year. And he's probably going to be walking across the stage in April as a first-round pick. So... You know, you could at least rest easy knowing that you're not going to have too many players like him on the other side the rest of the year. But, yeah, uh, Drew will be fine. Just a, a learning experience for him.
0: Yeah, pro, pro Football Focus had Newton with seven total uh, quarterback pressures in this game, including five hurries. He batted down, I think, two passes, had four tackles. I mean, he was uh, – I think two of them were for a loss. He was just all over the place and showed why he was one of the best quarterbacks in the co- – sorry, quarterbacks, defensive tackles in the country – uh on saturday against penn state that's the type of performance for newton that NFL, uh you know uh general managers and scouts are going to look at on tape and and we're going to point back when he gets drafted in the first round next day will be like uh, it, his game against penn state was really one that made that made him stand out uh, among the rest um that being said Overall, Drew's performance, you know, they're not the best. But like we said, things that can be worked uh, going forward and should be improved in the next couple of weeks. And uh, for Penn State's sake, they uh, would hope this by this upcoming Saturday. Um, the offensive line, Anthony kind of touched on it. And they weren't blocking Newton, it wasn't a terrible day. Um, let me go back to the PFF stats, actually, here quickly. But... In the game, Illinois had 12 total quarterback pressures on Drew. Obviously not a great number, but seven of those 12 came from Newton. I mean, that is a significant amount of uh, one team's pass rush coming from one guy. Uh, The next closest was uh, Gabe Jackis, uh, who had two uh, uh, pressures in the game. So like you said, Anthony, it wasn't with Newton, they, they did a pretty good job. It wasn't a great performance by any means, but it was one that I think when you look back at it, it wasn't as bad as it felt live. And I'd also say uh, people are going to point to the run game blocking being poor, and it wasn't great. But And we talked about this in before we went live here. Illinois in week one and two against Toledo and Kansas really struggled with mobile quarterbacks. Drew is not mobile. So uh, they, that they did not have to respect Drew's mobility in this game. They, so they were able to just to tee off on him in the pass rush. But also, with him not being a threat in a run situation, they could just stack the box with eight, nine guys and fill every gap possible. And that's why Penn State really did struggle in that first half or so with the rushing attack. I mean, it, it wasn't a great day even after the first half but if you look at the stats i mean penn state still finished with 219 rushing yards in the game sorry not 219 still finished 164 rushing yards in the game uh beau had 5.2 yards per carry katron allen 4.2 nicholas singleton was able to get some more success as the day went on as well So I guess I'll go back to Marty. Any concerns about this offensive line, their performance on Saturday against Illinois and going forward? Obviously, I think the middle of the line uh, with Salim Salim Worley, uh, Jamie Nelson, of course, and then Hunter Norzad in the middle is probably a little bit concerning uh, based off their performance against West Virginia and Illinois. But I think these are things that Penn State can still work out here in the upcoming weeks. Uh, really the challenge is just getting out of the Iowa game unscathed because after that you have Northwestern a bye week and UMass before you have to play Ohio State.
2: Yeah, like you said, after the Iowa game, you're essentially going to have three straight bye weeks. I mean, no disrespect to Northwestern and UMass, obviously, but uh, Northwestern might be the worst power five team in the country and by a long margin this year. And, you know, UMass is UMass. But, um Yeah, with this offensive line, I do have some concerns. I I think it's hard not to after this game. You you know, you look, Olu struggled against Newton. Olu kind of just is Olu. Like, he's an elite pass blocker. He's always struggled with run blocking. That has continued this year. And Caden Wallace, I mean, Caden Wallace gets a lot of crap for myself included. But run blocking, if he gets a hold of you, he's probably going to maul you pass blocking he's serviceable but that interior definitely a concern right now you you have to wonder like is hunter norzat just i don't know if he's just never healthy um yeah. sal warmly definitely leaves a lot to be desired a right guard and jb nelson i think has been good but not great so you know i don't know what they're gonna do there but i definitely have some concerns
0: and you about do br- the the you do bring up uh canem wallison for our viewers on youtube they're seeing our note notable performers for the game and we actually didn't talk about Nicholas Singleton we can go back to him quiet day but he had a good day overall but Caden Wallace 31 pass blocking opportunities on Saturday uh, and allowed no pressure Uh, for a guy who struggled in pass blocking last year at times that's a pretty notable performance for Caden Wallace and one that Penn State hopes he can build on going forward because they'll need him to be a a, a stalwart right tackle for them going forward the rest of the season, season if they want to you know, uh, compete for a Big Ten championship and potentially the college football playoffs.
2: Yeah, like you said, you you need Wallace to be a stalwart on this offensive line if they're going to get to where they want to get. And you, you, you've seen better from him. Um, the Like I said, the pass blocking is getting there. The run blocking has always been a strength. But, yeah, the, that was the one thing I took away coming out of this game as a true concern and not just like I said, there's a lot of things that were kind of annoying, frustrating. But to me, the one thing that was a true concern was his offensive line. I thought it's just, and maybe some of it is just being a Penn state fan and being kind of, kind of burnt by it or whatever. <laughs> I'm just, oh man, here we go again. But um, yeah, no, I think all things considered to the offensive line, I, I'm, I'm saying this, I, I think they'll be okay. You know, sure yeah, I think they'll be okay I think they might struggle with something against Iowa because it's Iowa and that's what they do but I think they're going to be okay but there's definitely some concerns there when you face in Iowa when you face Michigan when you face in Ohio State when you face these upper on defenses that you need to beat in order to win the Big Ten I still think there's some concerns there about their offense
0: sure Anthony did you share those same concerns
1: yeah definitely I mean I think Hayden Wallace gets a lot of flack, and he's inconsistent at times. He's going to give up a sack or two in a game, and you're going to be like, oh, there goes Wallace again. But overall this year, I actually think he's been all right. I haven't had too many concerns about him, and I think he's actually improved a little bit. So that that's a positive there. It definitely is the interior, specifically guys like Hunter Norzad and Sal Wormley, that I'm a little more concerned about. It just feels like the consistency has not been there with those guys. And just with the Penn State offensive line in general, like everyone said all offseason, oh, this is the strength of this team. This is the strength of this team, finally. Outside of Olu, I just didn't really see it. Like I didn't really understand, probably just because we had a top five caliber offensive tackle on the team, which is the first time we've had that in a long time. But I I just, you know, I didn't really get the hype yet. I've I've always been believe it when I see it with this offensive line. And yeah, while it hasn't been bad, and it's definitely better than it was three, four, five years ago, You know, it's still not, you know, where you'd want it to be or where you'd hope it would be, you know, at at this point in time. So hopefully, you know, if if Norzad just isn't healthy and is just playing hurt, hopefully he can get healthy. You know, hopefully those guys can, you know, take a step up and and learn from this. Maybe it's just because Illinois was playing eight or nine in the box. And, you know, they were just the numbers game. They were outmatched the entire time. And and maybe that's a big part of why we have this opinion. But. Yeah, it just felt like you know you were hoping they'd, they'd play a little better as a unit, and especially on the interior, it just didn't feel like that happened.
0: Sure. Uh, and, and I'm looking at the uh, Penn State uh, Pro Football Focus blocking grades for the season so far through three games. Some notable numbers according to Pro Football Focus, what they have credited. Um, through three games, Penn State has allowed 21 pressures. Now 12 of those came against Illinois alone. Uh the biggest uh I guess offender of allowing pressures right now is Hunter Norzad. They have him allowed five pressures so far this season. Uh JB Nelson is allowed three. Sal Wormley is allowed three. Uh Vega Ione as as well as three. And then uh Caden Wall Caden Wallace with three. So I mean, out of those top four guys, three of the four are interior offensive linemen, which absolutely you know, goes with what you guys have been saying about the weakness of that offensive right line right now being the interior um Caden Wallace I will say has felt like he has improved from last year as uh, as Anthony said um, but I think the overall good news here is Penn state. and this is isn't a knock on Clifford well it kind of is but Clifford we all agree had a tendency at times to hold on to the ball too long not feel the pressure he didn't have that pocket presence a lot during his career at penn state what we've seen out of drew so far in his time with the ninny lines as their starting quarterback especially is that he has great pocket presence he feels that pressure coming and he usually gets the ball out i mean he's only hit been hit six times this year and he's only been sacked once that is to a degree a credit to the offensive line but also a credit to drew as well which is only going to help him going forward in the big play. Any final thoughts on the offensive line? All right, um, we briefly touched on it, and we'll briefly touch on again. I'll bring up back the stats here. The wide receiver room had a tough day. Malik McLean, you know, Anthony talked about it being kind of uh, a guy who disappointed against Illinois with two drops. Only had one reception for six yards. Um, I mean, nobody had more than three receptions here, and that was a tie between Nicholas Singleton, Tyler Warren, Keandre Lambert-Smith. KLS had a rough day himself, both penalty-wise and uh, receiving-wise. I mean, I-, I think the one play that kind of stacks out to me for KLS was, and I, I think it was the second quarter, um, but do you guys remember there was a crossing round where KLS caught the ball, Uh, a couple yards short of the sticks and instead of going forward he just kind of decided to go towards the sidelines when he could have possibly picked up a first down there um I i didn't think it was the best performance out of lambert smith especially after having a strong season opener against uh west virginia i thought that was a bit of a disappointing effort on his part um The tight ends probably had their best day of the season to a degree. Tyler Warren continues to be solid. Um, But the guy that I think really kind of flashed, and uh, our viewers on YouTube may have seen him in our notable performance earlier, was Caden Saunders. He only had four snaps in the game, but he was targeted three times on those four snaps, and had two receptions for 19 yards. It's only two receptions, but I thought he looked... You know, I, I thought he had a nice burst to his game after both receptions. Uh, he And he looked smooth out there. So perhaps Penn State can start getting him going and more involved in this offense. But I think the biggest takeaway out of Saturday's performance on the wide receiver room is that Trey Wallace is a huge part of this wide receiver room. And without him, the depth and quality of the room takes quite a bit of a hit. Anthony, we'll start with you. just. Um, are you after two strong weeks how concerned are you two strong weeks and then this tough performance against illinois where are you with this uh penn state wide receiver are you concerned uh if so is that a high level concern medium low just what's your overall feelings about this penn state wide receiver room after three weeks obviously they have the talent they flashed the first two weeks, but. This past performance, I would say, definitely is one that hits the confidence level uh, for a lot of Penn State fans.
1: Yeah, I think as long as you have KLS and Trey Wallace out there at the same time, I think there's really not much concern for me. I think if you take one of them out of the equation, like you did against Illinois, yeah, this this room is not consistent enough to uh, inspire a lot of confidence. So. Yeah, I was surprised that KLS didn't have a better performance. Obviously, he could have had a much bigger day if Drew sees him downfield on that. Sure. He was wide open, like you guys talked about earlier. But yeah, you know, he made that one nice play, and then you really didn't see much of him, you know, the rest of the game. But yeah, they they need Trey Wallace out there um, to be effective. Like I said earlier, he's kind of a security blanket for Drew. He's a big factor in that West Virginia game with seven catches. Um, He's just a guy that he looks to, you know, especially over the middle. He's just a really athletic and, you know, really talented receiver. But yeah, um they haven't had a third guy step up. You know, you were hoping that maybe Malik McLean would be that guy after the West Virginia game. Obviously that confidence took a big hit. Yeah. Dante Seethas has not been what we thought he would be out of the transfer portal. You know, seeing Caden Saunders out there was was interesting. I, I made note of it the second I saw the number seven out there and they targeted him immediately. So made some nice plays. He looks like he's got some bursts, so maybe that's a guy they start looking to moving forward. Um, Liam Clifford, you know, he's, he's a steady Eddie, in my opinion. Obviously, he had that huge catch on that beautiful throw by Drew. was definitely Drew's best throw of the day, in my opinion. Uh, I said Clifford would be a guy that would get you a big play when you needed it. He'd have two catches a game and maybe two big ones, and that came through against Illinois, in my opinion. So you've got him as a consistent guy, but maybe not a superstar. Um, so you've got pieces, but, again, you've got two guys you can depend on and then a couple other guys that you hope they show up. They may or they may not.
0: Marty, what's uh what's your concern of the wide receiver room?
2: I mean, I think as we've said throughout this show, they 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 miss Trey Wallace a lot more than you thought they would miss Trey Wallace. Um, you know, especially I think he was he's the guy they've gone to in early downs. He's the guy they've gone to to move the sticks. Both of those Malik McLean drops are balls that probably our targets for trey wallace if he's playing so yeah. i think that's a factor um now that said i'm with you anthony and number three needs to step up um and i still think it could be mclean i'm not th- even with those two drops he still finished with what i mean get like two or three catches on the day he, it's not like he did nothing um so i still think it can be malik mclean and with Caden saunders I remember at the end of the game, looking at the box score, and two catches didn't feel right. It seemed like maybe it's because he maximized the opportunity he got. Yep. But at least to me, it felt like he made a bigger impact than that. Um, you know, he, he was, what, a former top 100, maybe even top 50 yep. crew off the top of my head. Very highly rated guy, has that big playability. I would really like to see more of Saunders moving forward. Um, he's a guy I've always been super high on. So hopefully this can be start of him you know, putting it together and merging as a legitimate target for Drew Alarra because they need that third guy. And like I said, I think it still could be Malik McClain. I definitely think Saunders could do it, but somebody's got to step up and do it um, because you can't continue to have Keandre Lambert-Smith and Trey Wallace do all of it, especially if you have a day like yesterday where Lambert-Smith is off and Wallace doesn't play. And I just w- one more comment I'll have on Keondre Lambert-Smith on Saturday is how many times since he's gotten to campus have we heard his biggest problem could be getting in his own head and being his own worst enemy. I feel like we saw some of that Saturday, you know, that penalty. Dylan, you mentioned the play where he could have cut up field, got more yards, got the first down, and, you know, wasn't doing enough north-south, too much east-west. It just felt like a game where a guy kind of got in his own head a little bit and um, we saw it impact his play. So. Hopefully he'll kick that, have a nice bounce-back performance against the Iowa this Saturday. But, uh, yeah, that wide receiver room, I'm not worried about it yet, especially because the first two games were so good. Um, but you need a consistent number three to emerge. And I think if you can get Omari Evans back healthy, whenever that may be, that may single-handedly solve your your problems of needing a consistent number three also.
0: Sure. And uh, to wrap up this offensive discussion, I guess, um, just in general – uh, some key stats about Penn State's offense on uh, Saturday. 15 total drives um, at 3-5 and ounce, had 6 scoring drives, so 40% of their drives resulted in scores. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway for me was just early on their inability to get you know anything really going consistently. Uh, but as that game progressed, you saw them kind of once they made those second and half adjustments they came out of halftime had two three and outs but after that um, they had five plays 16 yards seven for 73 for 30 six for 20 six or 28 it never was great but they found more consistency as the game went on I think that's notable also we saw Penn State not be afraid to add some razzle dazzle um, one of the big scores uh, in the game was Trey Potts uh, taking, uh, what was it? A toss in the backfield, taking a toss and going out to the sideline, uh, and then pulling up and finding Tyler Warren in the end zone, uh, for a touchdown that made it a 23, seven game. And I think that, that play is the, the was the dagger for Illinois. Uh, they didn't have the same, I think, uh, oomph in their game after that Penn state touchdown. And, um, that that's the time if you're Penn State to pull that type of play out. They needed a touchdown on that drive, and they dug into the uh, playbook to find it. And I I know people always say Penn State or an offense isn't gonna put out, you know, a ton for their later opponents, but James Franklin over his career has always been a guy who says, um, put it more on tape in terms of getting, opposing defenses to worry about more different things it takes away from preparing for other things because you have to now prepare for for more so uh i'm sure that's not the last little bit of trickery we'll see how penn State here going forward but overall i thought the penn state offense performance was was solid in the grand scheme of things a lot to clean up but not as bad as it probably felt in real time um what's your guys starting with you anthony what's your final thoughts on the offense
1: yeah, on that Trey Potts touchdown, I think it's it's pretty funny that uh, the most passing touchdowns in the game on the Penn State side came from the third string running back. Yeah, um, Franklin said earlier in the week that we're going to see more of Trey Potts going forward. I don't think that's what everyone had in mind when he said that. But hey, you know, he, he made a nice throw. Obviously, I wouldn't want him to do that too many times moving forward. It wasn't the prettiest throw, but Tyler Warren had some some nice feet there, we were able to get two feet down and bounds as an NFL touchdown. But yeah. Um, good good play there you know pretty much sealed the game for Penn State and just a quick summary of the offense again you did enough to score 30 points you did enough to win the game comfortably yep. there's still plenty of things to clean up the biggest thing for me honestly I could I could deal with everything else everything else is fixable they got to be more disciplined sure like too many penalties you know jumping off sides you know too many false starts that one penalty from KLS made me throw my hat across the room. It was just so unnecessary. Even if it was a little soft by the refs, it doesn't matter. Don't put yourself in that position. Just just clean that up. And I think, I think Penn state will be fine
0: before I hand it off to Marty or just two things to add and get Marty's thoughts on it. Uh, I think that if you're a Penn state fan, the big positives take away from this is one Penn state was not explosive at all really on Saturday, just seven big plays four through the air. Um, of 18, 19, 33 and 19 yards, and then uh three Russian plays of 18 16 and twenty-one. And one of the and that that last one was a Bo Populo run. So I think the fact that they were able to score thirty points, rack up nearly four hundred yards despite not being explosive is a sign of how good this offense can be and the talent that's on this offense. But also, uh, third and shorts in this game they were three for four i believe uh and then uh on third down rushing attempts they had nine attempts for 63 yards I-, I think those are things you can definitely build on coming out of this performance but uh marty what was your uh final takeaways from this uh, wrapping up the offense discussion here
2: yeah, to I me mean, the biggest offense and Anthony kinda of touched on it is it, there's nothing really to concern you. It's all fixable. It's, it's I, I thought Mike Yursich overall had a good game. It's just it was lack of execution. But like we've said, dumb penalties, you know, Drew missing throws and missing reads, receivers, you know, making wrong cuts. There there were definitely a few times in this game where Nick Singleton got the ball and there was a hole there and I don't know if he just didn't see it or what and and just tried to bounce it when he shouldn't have, so it was all execution issues, and that's the kind of stuff that as much as it'll drive you insane, that stuff's easy to clean up. That's the kind of stuff you can you can work on in practice. So to me, outside of maybe the interior offensive line, no real concerns or anything to sort about this offense right now because, again, I feel like against Illinois, almost all of their issues were poor execution. And, again, poor execution is something that you can clean up in practice.
0: Absolutely agree with you there. I guess let's turn to the defense. Uh, we kind of touched on it already. But we'll touch on it a little more. The big takeaways: five turnovers forced, including four interceptions. Uh, I believe it was seven tackles for a loss and three sacks. Uh, just start to finish, a really quality performance uh, for Penn State's defense. I think the two big, really, I, I mean, you, you can't even say that because all three levels really performed well, but. The first couple weeks of the season, it felt like Penn State's pass rush left more to be desired. Uh, But this weekend against Illinois, that pass rush performed really, you know, really well overall. uh, With, of course, all those pressures we mentioned, uh, as well as the three sacks. Uh, They were a pivotal part of slowing down that Illinois rushing attack as well. Um, But also, the linebacker play was really solid from Dominic DeLuca, Abdul Carter, Kobe King. I mean, Dominic DeLuca has become one of Penn State's best, uh, defenders against the run so far this season. After having a pick six last week, he forced a fumble early on this week that led to points. Uh, you have to feel really good about that front seven after this one, uh, after a good, but not great first two games. Uh, Anthony, what's your thoughts on that front seven? We'll, of course, talk a little bit more about that uh, secondary as well.
1: Yeah, it feels like they're slowly starting to get their feet under them. They're slowly starting to get more pressure. Um, It's been a little surprising that, you know, Chop, um, DDS, those guys haven't had the impact that I thought they would this early in the season they haven't sure. been bad by any stretch but they also haven't, you know, been all over the field like i expected. I think they'll eventually get there. Don't get me wrong, I'm not concerned about it. But i think Adiza Isaac had a fantastic game. I think he was probably um, you know, along the defensive line, he was probably one of the MVPs of that game. Uh he made some really nice plays. He was all over the field, uh especially run support. A tremendous game from Isaac there. um the defensive line will be fine. I thought Izard made a great or Izard made a great um impact on his return back you know obviously i think they missed him dearly in the interior um he's going to be a guy moving forward that i think will have um, an increased role as he starts to get healthy again um encouraging things on the defensive line in this game i think they'll continue to get better and better as the season gets on
0: and i threw up for our viewers on youtube the game comparison so uh you could see how the two teams matched up overall uh but yeah great great thoughts on there anthony uh Marty, how do you feel about that front seven performance against the Illini? I mean, that was a, a pretty dominant performance uh, from start to finish for both uh, groups.
2: Yeah, definitely the best game of the season so far for the linebackers as a whole. I mean, I think through three games, you can argue Curtis Jacobs has been the best player on this defense, and he was all over the place again on Saturday. Abdul Carter looked like Abdul Carter. Um, yeah. Similar to the, the Caden Saunders thing, I was really surprised at the end of the game when he was only credited with, I think, four tackles. Yeah. It just felt like Abdul was everywhere, not just that interception, but just stringing plays up, blowing plays up, being disruptive, causing chaos. Um, I think you could argue that Isaac was the best player on Penn State's defense on Saturday. That was a great call by you two of him. Izzard back in a big wave with two sacks, and then that secondary. You know, we'll get to them, obviously, but, yeah, just – I thought that the front seven was tremendous. It's what we expected to see out of this front seven coming into the year. Um, I think that them tightening up the rotations at linebacker proved to be extremely beneficial. Um, and yeah, if if you can get consistently get the linebackers and the defensive line to perform that way, and that's not a stretch because that's what you expect out of them this defense can be elite. And, you know, it's – Anthony, you mentioned that the sack numbers, that sort of thing, haven't been there. But, like, Chop Robinson on Saturday, I'm not sure if he even had a tackle for a loss. Now, he didn't have a sack, but he was all over the place. He was blowing plays up, consistently beating the tackle off the ball, almost had an interception. Like, he, he's he's been impacting the game in so many ways that – even though the sack and TFL numbers for him haven't really been there yet, it, they've been okay, you know, because he's oh. impacted the units in other ways.
0: Sure. Uh, here, here's some just uh, for the discussion on how strong uh, the front seven played. Just a few guys. Uh, Adisa Isaac, five total pressures, four tackles, half a sack, one TFL, one quarterback hurry. Um, the quarterback pressures and hurries uh, courtesy of Pro Football Focus, by the way. Uh, Chop Robinson, five hurries, two tackles, one TFL, one pass breakup. DeLuca, six tackles, one TFL, one forced fumble. Abdul Carter, three quarterback hurries, three tackles, one interception. I mean, just, I mean, dominant performances uh, all around. And I think those numbers really drive it on how dominant they were. I... I Obviously, the secondary was, I think, the start of the game, despite the 269 total yards allowed. Like I said, a lot of that, not a lot of it, a good chunk of that came in the fourth quarter. But overall, this secondary, four, three interceptions on the day. They rarely allowed a big pass play, I think, throughout the evening. I'll, I'll look it up right here quickly. Um, they la- allowed... Before the fourth quarter, they allowed three total pass, pl- big pass plays of 15 plus yards. I mean, if you do that week in and week out, you're gonna win almost every time. Um, Anthony, thoughts on that secondary performance? Obviously, another dominant performance.
1: Yeah, A-plus performance from the secondary. Honestly, the I, I hate to say worst performance, but the worst performance quote unquote of the day probably was from Kaitlin King. And if he's having the worst game on your secondary, your secondary's having a really good day. Johnny Dixon was phenomenal. Cam Miller was phenomenal. Daquan Hardy on that interception, I said it before, it was a textbook defensive yeah. interception. It was fantastic. Read it like a book. Was step for step with the defender the entire time. Turns around at the right moment. Altmaier obviously threw it a little short, which is why he was able to pick it off, but still. Just textbook defense by Hardy there. His absence was yeah. was definitely missed a little bit. Not that was only a nice the first two games, but Having him back was was so, it's so big moving forward. He's such a good defender. If Hardy was six one instead of like five eight, Hardy's probably one of the best defenders in the country, and oh. he's already really really good. That was a so
0: very, very nice. Welcome back, month for DaQuan Hardy after his absence.
1: Absolutely. So don't need to say too much about the secondary. Just 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 phenomenal all around.
0: I mean, can Cam Miller also had an interception uh, on Saturday. Uh, he's been somebody who's been really i think impressive through this first part of the season. BFF had him as the highest graded coverage guy against Illinois. Uh he's definitely shown some flashes in his limited opportunities out there. Um
1: yeah. One more thing on on Miller yeah, so even on that touchdown, even on that touchdown he gave up um in garbage time, he was he was right there with yeah. the defender. It was solid defense. It was just a nice throw and a nice catch. So You know, again, Miller's been great, obviously a great interception there. And, yeah, I think he's continuing to get confidence, and he's going to be important for this team moving forward. So, you know, I hope he continues to have these type of performances.
0: Marty, thoughts on the secondary?
1: Just really
2: good. And it was was a group effort. You know, you mentioned the interceptions. You mentioned Kalen King probably having the weakest game of the group, which I agree with, but I also still think it may have been Kalen King's best game of the season, which is – a testament to how well the secondary played. KJ Winston had a really strong game. Um, there were a couple plays I can think of one specifically on a third down where just beautiful coverage and break a pass up. Jalen Reed oftentimes drew that slot assignment of of Isaiah Williams. I thought Jalen Reed had a, just a really good game that flew completely under the radar. He was all over the field for the defense as well. So uh, yeah, just a great game. The secondary showing. Well, we all expect to come into the year that despite the loss of Take Brown and Joey Porter Jr., they could still be one of the best in the country, and they certainly look like it on Saturday.
0: Yeah, King. It's so hard to judge King right now too because they're just not ta- opposing offenses aren't thrown at him, which you 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 know you'd assume, but just thirteen targets, which actually still leads the team. Uh, but I mean, he's only been targeted three, three. Times a game, really three, four times a game. Um, Only allowed five receptions on those thirteen targets, but Cam Miller definitely has been impressive. Uh, Johnny Dex had a nice game as well. Not really much we can take off the second that we haven't talked about the secondary before. Um, Last parts I want to hit on on the defense Um, at linebacker Tony Rojas uh, for a third straight week got some solid run uh, in mop up duty. Every time he steps on the field, he looks better and better. Uh, he's a kid who looks like he's really settling into the college game. Uh, and he has improved quite a bit from that first game against West Virginia where it looked like you know he was a true freshman playing his first game. It looks like the game is slowing down for, for Tony Rojas. I don't know if you guys would agree. Um, Tyler Elsden uh, only played 11 snaps, which I think is quite notable. This was a guy who... You know, was a starter for Penn State. I, did he start Week One against West Virginia? No, um, yeah, Kobe King's been the. Co- yeah, right. The Kobe time. King. Kobe King started, but Ellison saw quite a bit of playing time the first two weeks of the season, and then this week just eleven snaps. Uh, that is a big shift in what we have seen in the past uh, from this Penn State coaching staff with uh, Tyler Ellsden. Um So, I mean, I, I, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's you know a, a fluke that the fewer snaps L's and C's, the better he looks. He's a guy you can put out there who does well in you know sh- short spurts, but if he's on the field too much, he's going to get exposed.
1: Um, yeah, I'm not going to add to
0: Yeah, but primarily my thoughts there was on Tony Rojas. Would you guys agree through three games that Tony Rojas just looks to be getting better and better each game, more comfortable? Uh, it definitely looks like it's slowing down.
1: Yeah, I mean he's just he's a true freshman. He's a guy that once he puts it together, once he continues to get, you know, more experience out there, you know, he's a guy that's gonna be featured a lot more in this defense. You know, he's too athletic, you know, he's too talented of a football player not to eventually get to a level, especially I think in this year he'll get to that level where he's gonna be a regular contributor at linebacker. So, yeah, that's why they're getting in these reps because they want to get him ready for the stretch run later in the year where you're going to need that quality depth.
2: Good. Marty? Yeah, and not just Rojas. I think a lot of the pressure on this defense in general, um, King Mack is yep. slowly playing more and more reps every week, and he just he looks like he belongs. Zion Tracy had a really nice tackle on Sunday where – Illinois or Saturday, excuse me. Illinois threw a little spot pass out to the receiver. Tracy came up the field, one on one, broke down, wrapped him up, took him to the ground. Just it was beautiful. It was something you. It was a play you would show kids who you're trying to teach how to tackle in the open field. Elliot Washington has looked like he belongs. So, you know, it's not just Tony Rojas. It's it's a lot of the freshmen in in, in that secondary and Rojas and linebacker who played this year. You, you can see why they were highly rated kids. You can see why they're kids who. James Franklin made the decision very early on to Green Lake this year, and it's encouraging for the future of this defense. Not just the present, because these guys can help, especially on special teams right now, but, you know, you've always, to an extent, have to have one eye towards the future in college football. And, you know, Rojas, Tracy, Mac, yep. Washington, they, they look like they belong. They've really impressed me. It's, like I said, especially King Mac.
0: I'd like to go back to actually the front seven quickly. Talk about the defensive tackles. Uh, Kaziah our returned this week, and you can, now that Penn State has five. I mean, they have five defense tackles that they trust Durant, Kaziah, uh, Kaziah uh, Devon Ellis, uh, Jordan Vandenberg, and Hakeem Beeman. All those guys kind of played equal amount of reps. Um, but I thought the defensive tackles did really well on Saturday and plugging up the holes on the run, slowing down that Illinois run game. Um, just Any thoughts on the DTs now that they're all uh, looking like they're all healthy?
2: The one thing I will say about the DTs are two things. First off, I thought Hakeem Demon played his best game of the season thus far. And one thing that was not an issue with the defensive tackles on Saturday that had been an issue at times in the past, especially that Michigan game last year, was gap integrity. They kept their gaps. They were where they needed to be. Because last year, that Michigan game, a lot of those gaping holes that Blake Corum was running through, it wasn't even necessarily Michigan's offensive line moving guys out of the way. It was guys from Penn State being in the wrong place. Yeah. And that wasn't a problem on Saturday. Like I said to open the show, as maligned as this rush defense has been, as maligned as it was by some people on social media on Saturday, they held an Illinois team who wants to line up and run the ball right at you. A Brett Bielema team held them to 2.1 yards per carry. It was a tremendous effort, and it all started with that defensive line, specifically those defensive tackles. Like I said, in my opinion, Beeman played his best game of the year so far. We've said it, Izzard flashed in his return. I thought Zane Durant was really good. I thought outside of his dumb penalty, Devon finalities was pretty solid. Really, really strong game from the defensive tackles, in my opinion.
0: And that's, that's going to be big for Penn State going in next week against Iowa was, if uh, everybody is, in fact, healthy for next week. Uh, and then finally, the last down, Illinois. Um.
2: One, one more thing. Nope. Just yep. Yep. I, I mean, obviously, we're not going to get into Iowa tonight too much, but I will say with the defensive tackles in Iowa, Luke Latchy is Iowa's best player on yep. offense. He's not going to play. He just dislocated his ankle on Saturday. He's not playing next week. And he's their tight end for those who don't know. is Cade McNamara's number one target. So Iowa's probably going to look to run the ball even more than they already were going to. Great so point. it's going to be vital for these defensive tackles to back that performance up with another one like that
0: great point uh last thing on illinois and then we'll, we'll give our early thoughts on penn state versus iowa um does penn state finally have their kicker alex falcons now through what was it uh played most of that west virginia he played half west virginia most of delaware for the last two and a half games he's looked pretty good uh he made three of four kicks on Saturday. The only one he didn't make was a 52-yard uh, attempt that got blocked. Um, he looks calm, calm, cool, and collected out there. He looks; he doesn't look like the moment's too big for him. Obviously, we'll see how he does with the moments getting bigger as the season goes on. But I think he has definitely kind of brought consistency to that position. In the, It's only in the short term so far. But the early results are promising for him.
1: Yeah, I was worried that we were going to gloss over this. I was going to have to bring it back up to highlight it. To me, this was like one of the biggest stories of the game was that, you know, Alex Falcons, 45 yarder, you know, I feel like all of us are probably a little sweating a little bit when he stepped up to kick it, but he steps up, drills it with confidence right down the middle, really kind of eased my concerns. You know, he made the easy ones, made the 28 yarder, made the 20 yarder, three of four on the day, I believe. Um, missed the fifty-two yarder because it was blocked. Um, whatever, you know. Oh, if you miss I, a fifty-yarder, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fret too much. And
0: to add on that fifty-two yarder quickly. I think the big part. A lot, a lot of people on our forums are like, why are they kicking it there? I think what Penn State fans should be taking away from that is that James Franklin and Stacy Collins had the confidence in Falcons to attempt that fifty-two yarder, and. They have confidence that he has the leg to make that fifty-two yarder. Because we were talking coming into the season, could it be a Sanders sahedak takes the long th- field goals? Falcons is the guy within you know forty-five, but if Falcons they ha- if they're confident Falcons has that type of leg, then I mean that's that that in itself is notable that they were willing for him to attempt that in that situation as well.
1: Yeah, but not moral of the story. I think they do have their kicker at least for right now. I think Falcons has proven that he should be the guy out there in in those situations. And I think they're going to continue to go to him until, unless he gives them a reason not to. So, you know, a good, a very good start for Falcons. I think he's, he's clearly cemented himself as the guy moving forward.
0: Sure. And then uh, Marty thoughts on Falcons because special teams that kicking game or something that you've been very passionate about could be the Achilles heel of this Penn state team and potentially be what keeps them out of being a playoff team.
2: No, I agree with everything Anthony said. Is Falcons the answer? I don't think we can say yes or no yet, but I think right now he's the guy. Um, sure. You know, Dylan, our group chat with Clay, he made a good point on Saturday where it was like, it kind of got to the second and third quarter, and Falcons came up the kick, and we were just you were like, all right, I actually expect him to make this, and he did. You know, it's which is something at the beginning of the year you weren't going to have with this yep. group, so... Again, I'm with what Anthony he said, 52-yard. Even if he would have shanked that thing, whatever. It's 50-plus. You're not going to attempt a 50-plus yard kick very often. Um, but, yeah, him hitting that 45-yarder, and this was something, Dylan, I also mentioned in our group chat during the game. Obviously, James Franklin would never in a million years say this, but I would be willing to bet he wasn't exactly, you know, completely tore up that his offense flamed out on that drive and it allowed Falcons to attempt a 45-yard kick on the road in conference play and then proceed to make it because that can be big for his confidence, for momentum, for all of that. And you can make those kicks all you want in practice, but there's nothing compares to making it on the road in a conference game. So, you know, I I think that was, if you want to take away some silver linings from Penn State's offense failing to finish drives in the first half of this game, it was that it allowed Falcons to kind of start to get into a little bit of a rhythm with kicking. And I mentioned here before that kicking is very much, it's like hitting a baseball, It's, it's rhythm. If your timing and rhythm is off, you're going to struggle, and Falcons was able to go out there Saturday and make two kicks, including that big 45-yarder on the road in conference play. That could be nothing but a positive moving
0: forward. Uh, 100% agree with you there. Uh, last thing about this game, that i would note, uh, with the game, uh, Penn State has now scored 30-plus points in 10 straight games. Uh, that ties uh, the highest of the James Franklin, longest streak of the James Franklin era, Joe Moorhead did so in 2016 through 2017. The opponent that uh, stopped Joe Moorhead and Penn State from scoring 30 plus points, the Iowa Hawkeyes, which brings us to our next point uh, and topic of discussion here. Penn State opened on Sunday as a 14 point favorite over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Over under, I believe is set at 39 and a half right now. This is a good Iowa team, guys. You know. In the general scheme of things, uh, top twenty-five ranked Iowa team, but I think on paper this is a this is an Iowa team that Penn State should absolutely still beat on. I think the fourteen-point line, maybe a little bit generous, but I think it's a line that Penn State should a, could absolutely cover. Uh, I mean, I I texted you guys I think throughout uh, the Illinois game that I know they struggled, but and kind of what we talked about with how the ill in Illinois defense. Is going to help set up a potential success against Iowa. I I have pretty strong confidence in me that, not confidence, but there's a good part of me that thinks Penn State can go out on Saturday against Iowa and put up 30 points again. Uh, this is just from top to bottom of a, a talented offense. The offensive line is still a pretty damn good offensive line, one of the better ones in the Big Ten. You have two of the best running backs in the country. You have a quarterback who could make any throw. Um, the big You have two really good tight ends. I, I just... I don't know if there's many defenses out there that could really stop this Penn State offense enough to stop them from getting 30 points this year. And on the flip side, I think a big part of that is because this Penn State defense, as we've seen the last two weeks, is starting to A, create turnovers, and B get off the field quickly. If, if this Penn State offense is going to get 12, 13, 14, 15 possessions a game, I think they're going to score on, you know, six or seven of those drives almost weekly. I mean, and 50% isn't always going to be great, but, I mean, am I wrong to feel this way about how just how the – the defense compliments the offense and just giving them more opportunities. I mean, I just don't know how many times opposing defenses are going to be able to stop Penn State if you give them 15 possessions a game.
1: Yeah, no, we talked about this before we came on. I I, I tend to think that Penn State went into this Illinois game you know, with a little bit of an eye towards Iowa. I, sure. I feel like they feel like Iowa's going to do a lot of similar things offensively and defensively that Illinois tried to do. And especially offensively, I almost feel like Yersage said, you know, we're going to run right into the teeth of this eight, nine stack in the box because we don't want to give Iowa a lot on tape as to what we're going to do to adjust to that. And I think he kind of knew that we can be very pretty vanilla in this one outside of a trick play or two and, and still beat Illinois comfortably. I don't think he was ever worried about, you know, Illinois staging a comeback or this offense not being able to put up enough points to win. So you know, maybe it's just a cop-out, but I almost kind of feel like yours was like, yeah, we don't really have to adjust that much, and we'll still put up 30 points. So, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if there was a little bit of an eye towards Iowa and, you know, prepping as to how they can adjust to what Illinois did to what Iowa's going to do next weekend.
0: Sure. Marty, uh, thoughts on early thoughts on Penn State-Iowa um, overall.
2: Yeah, ultimately, this is a game that Penn State should win. I mean, that 14, that's a big number against a team like Iowa, but it's, it's the whiteout. Um, Iowa's offense is awful. So we'll see. Um, I definitely will going to be picking Penn State to win. I don't know what I'll say score-wise. But, yeah, I, I think they can get to the 30 points, and part of that's because of what you guys mentioned. Like, you don't expect much from Iowa's offense at all against any defense, let alone one of the caliber of Penn State's. I think the, the, the ability, the possibility, the chances, whatever it may be, of Iowa's defense just getting worn out as the game goes on is there. And one other thing that I think is a, is a, real, is a real thing for Saturday, you better believe after what happened in Iowa City two years ago, not even so much Iowa winning the game, but the way they won it, the, the actions of Kirk Ferentz and his coaching staff during that game, some of the things Kirk said after the game, This thing circled on the calendar. This one's been circled on the calendar for a while. You throw in the fact that it's a whiteout, this crowd is going to be jacked up. This crowd is going to be ticked off about things that were said and done by Kirk Ferentz and his coaching staff two years ago. I don't know if it happens because it very rarely happens against Iowa, but I do think – the possibility is there for this thing to, no pun intended with the whiteout, to just snowball in Iowa in a hurry and Penn State absolutely run away with it all. I was
0: going to say, would you be shocked if this is a 2016-type game where Penn State wins 41-14? I mean, I,
2: not at all. I, I think probably is the coaching staff, I think would love, absolutely love to come out and do that against Iowa. Again, not that they lost in Iowa City two years ago, And I think it's more of how they lost and then just the accusations of players. I mean, you have Peter and basically derailed his entire career that day. And you had Kirk Ferentz coming after the game, calling a fake saying he was just, I I think there's going to be a lot of bad blood between these coaching staffs on Saturday. And I don't think we've seen in the past when James has it out for somebody, if he has the chance, he'll keep the pedal down. And I wouldn't be, I'm. I don't. Th- I'm not going to pick that to happen on Saturday, but it's not going to surprise me if it does.
0: And, and the other thing, I just don't know how Iowa's going to consistently move the football. I mean, you look at what Cade McNamara has done this year: 38 for 74 touchdowns, three interceptions. Against Western Michigan, he completed nine of 19 passes. He completed 20, 12 of 22 against Iowa State, 17 of 29 against Utah State. He hasn't completed more than 58 percent of his passes through three games. And I mean, unless Iowa is just gonna put, you know, seven guys on the line line of scrimmage at all times with you know two tight ends, I mean, how are they gonna move the ball here? I mean, they'll get their their runs. They'll have some big runs. They always do. But I mean, I I don't know if I see Iowa getting more than two hundred thirty. 40 yards in this game because I don't think they can pass on this Penn State defense and I I think at that point Penn State for the most part can just sell out against the run as long as Penn State's front seven play within themselves and play fundamentally you know a sound you know gap defense I I just I don't know how I was going to move the ball against this Penn State defense
1: yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the line on this game is 39-and-a-half for a reason. Um, even if, you know, Penn State gets to 30, you know, there's still a chance that this could be an un- still, the under. Still could, the under could still hit in this one. I can't even talk at this point. Yeah. But, yeah, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think Iowa's going to at least score a touchdown. You know, maybe they'll get into – maybe they'll get two touchdowns, but I, I find it – really hard to see like you said how they're going to consistently put up points especially if they're going to have to pass the ball because they're trailing
0: and and i'll say this if this was a, a night kick in kinnick i would be probably saying a widely different thing because you know night night games and kinnicks have magic but at the same time wide out atmospheres in happy valley i mean you, you marty brings up and and you brought up anthony how the coaching staff is going to treat this game the fans remember what happened in Iowa City they, they remember they remember all the Iowa fans uh, you know the famous guy with the shoulder faking the shoulder injury in the stance they remember the rat comment from uh, Ferentz uh, they remember that Penn State was up two touchdowns when Sean Clifford got hurt and was on their way to probably blown out of that Hawkeyes team before he got hurt and ended up losing the game and really kind of just Sent that entire season onto a spiral, but Penn State fans remember what happened there, and you you can get you can guarantee that Penn State fans are going to have a especially early on a little bit more energy, remembering what happened in Iowa in, in Iowa City two years ago. Um, Yeah, we'll talk more about the Iowa game on Wednesday when we preview it. But I think we all agree right now this is a game that Penn State could absolutely cover that spread, and if it's a blowout, we wouldn't be shocked uh, at all. Um, And then finally, just to wrap this one up, three weeks of Big Ten football football are in the books. Uh, Who do we feel? I, I guess we're ranking the top three right now: Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, gentlemen. How would we rank them? Uh, do we all agree that Michigan is still number one in the Big Ten? Uh, has Penn State made an argument? Uh, Ohio State started off so the first two weeks, uh, but definitely looked like the Buckeyes of old this past week against Western Kentucky. Uh, wh- where are we in ranking the top three in the Big Ten? Uh, Marty, I'll start with you there. Just w- what's your general Big Ten thoughts? Still got Michigan on top?
2: I would still pick Michigan to win the Big Ten without sure. a doubt. But I think through three weeks, you've got to say Penn State is the best resume. Um, sure. Two Power Five wins? Yeah, Penn State's the only one of the group that has two Power Five wins. Um, Penn State's the only one of the group that played a Power Five team in non-con. Um, and Penn State is just all-around all look the most impressive. You know, Ohio State, their struggles with Indiana and uh Whoever was that I played last week, I apologize for forgetting or just been well-documented. Youngstown State. Uh, Youngstown State, yes. And then Michigan, you know, kind of screwed around with pulling green. J.J. McCarthy threw three interceptions, two interceptions, whatever it was. Should have had another. Yeah. Um, Didn't look great against UNLV. Didn't look great against East Carolina. So I think of the three Penn State's played the best thus far, has the best resume. Yeah. but. Put it this way, if I was power ranking them, Penn State easily, number one, without a doubt, without a doubt. But if I'm ranking them based off who I think the best team is, I'm still going to pick Michigan. I said last year Michigan beat Ohio State. Everyone should pick Michigan to win the Big Ten at this point until they give you a reason not to moving forward. Until they give me a reason not to, I'm going to continue to pick the Wolverines to win the Big Ten. But again, if I was power ranking them, Penn State is easily number one of the Big Three in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and I think with Michigan, it's just the biggest thing is it, it feels like they have the least amount of holes or question marks. The wide receiver room, you know, isn't probably that much more talented, or Penn State's wide receiver room may be more talented. Um, but, I mean, as long as they have that offensive line, they're going to be able to run the ball uh, decently almost any given week, which gives them a big advantage. Um, Anthony, how, how how do you feel about so So, Marty, you uh, michigan penn state ohio state through three weeks i that's how personally that's how i put it right now
2: i well, I, I don't know to me it's almost like with penn state you got to prove it to me from sure. Ohio to the state it, now again power ranking them i'm going penn state michigan ohio state but if i'm ranking them based off of how good i think the teams are i probably still go michigan ohio state penn state but Ohio State and Penn State would definitely be interchangeable. But again, that hey, Penn State comes out the Saturday and curb Iowa. I might revisit that. But again, power ranking them, I'm gonna go Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. Ranking them based off of who I think the better team is of the group, I would go Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State.
0: And we're, this is actually a really good week because we're gonna learn a lot about uh, two of them, and then Michigan, you know. I know it's Rutgers, but this Rutgers team has played solid football. I expect Michigan to win by, uh, I think, the spread's 23. I expect them to cover that spread. But is is how Michigan performs this weekend is going to be noteworthy, I think, to a degree. But Penn State has Iowa. Ohio State has Notre Dame. I expect Ohio State to win that game still. But this is a quality Notre Dame team that if Ohio State doesn't bring their A game, could absolutely beat the Buckeyes, so that Dow definitely. We're going to learn a lot about Penn State, Ohio State, and probably figure out how those two teams are going to be the rest of the year this week. Uh, Anthony, how would you rank uh, the top three in the Big Ten?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with Marty. Like, I'd like on both fronts. Our rankings, Penn State is definitely the best resume at the moment. Um, in terms of the teams themselves, I'd still put it Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State until those three teams give me reason to switch that up. I was going to ask because about that sure. Notre Dame game, if Ohio State wins that game in any capacity, whether it's a one point close win or whether it's a blowout, do you like switch up your power rankings? Does like that vault Ohio State above Michigan in your eyes? Or um, is it still like, or is Michigan still in front until you, know, you get
2: power
1: ranking them? It has to.
2: Right? Yeah,
0: power ranking has to. It has the, to. The, the hard thing about Michigan is that and I don't know the rest of their schedule off the top of my head, but Michigan's one of those teams that I think outside of their games against Penn State and AHA State, um, so I guess till November, Michigan can just go through the motions and win each game this season by 30 points without having to do anything special. And that's what makes it hard to judge what type of team they are because they're not going to be tested until they show up at Beaver Stadium on, was it, November 11th?
2: November 11th, I think. Yeah. I also think if you're Michigan, though, that's a dangerous position. To it be is. In. It you, is. When you come rolling into Beaver Stadium, when you have Penn State, who's already gone to Illinois, played Iowa, played a West Virginia team that might wind up being better than we thought, gone to the gone to the horseshoe, like, that team's battle-tested. You're not. And I know yeah. Michigan's going the playoff two years in a row, but every year teams are different. so that that's that's not a great spot to be in either for me i think to an extent we kind of saw that with georgia on saturday right played two yeah. absolute nobody to start the year south carolina came out and punched them in the mouth and took georgia three quarters to get going and you can take three quarters to get going against south carolina and be okay you come out and get punched in the mouth at beaver stadium take three quarters to get going you're not winning that game so that's yeah, definitely a, that's a spot point. for going to be in
0: no yeah i mean how do you react react when you get punched in the mouth I mean, we kind of saw that with Georgia, but we also saw that in Colorado, in Boulder. Uh, Colorado did not know how to react when Colorado State punched them in the mouth for the first three quarters of that game, and then it, through the grace of Jay Norvell coaching, not to lose, Colorado ended up winning the game. But, I mean, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how that happens. How that works for Michigan. Um, and I'll, I'll also be interested to see, with Michigan, uh, if, you know, after that, if Ohio State wins this week, uh, upcoming week against Notre Dame, depending on who, if both teams of Penn State or Ohio State are undefeated and going into that matchup, I'll be intrigued. Does Michigan get punished in the rankings for having no tough games on their schedule? I mean, if you're Ohio State and Ohio State wins both of those games, how do you not rank the Buckeyes top five at that point if they have – wins over Narday and Penn State at that point. If you're Penn, if you're a if it's Penn State, how do you not rank Penn State higher if they have wins over a top twenty five Iowa uh, and uh, would be top five Ohio State team. So it'll be it'll be very interesting. Uh, I right now I think I would go Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, just because I feel a little bit better about Penn State's Penn State overall. I, I think Penn State may be better, a better team this year than Ohio State. But I I think it's also probably 2A, 2B. Any final thoughts on this episode, guys, before we get back to it on Wednesday uh, to discuss Iowa? All right. Uh, Well, until then, everybody, thank you for listening to an episode of the Penn State 365 podcast. Uh, You can find us over at Happy Valley Insider of the Rivals Network, pennstate.rivals.com. And until next time, everybody, thank you for listening to today's episode. Enjoy the beginning of your week, and we will be back. later this week to preview Penn State's wideout showdown against the Iowa Hawkins.